Please turn with me now in Ephesians to chapter 6. We'll be looking at verses 10 through 13. We're coming close now to the end of our series through Ephesians. Paul has written about God's mercy to us. He's reminded us of what we were apart from Christ. We were dead in our trespasses and sins. That we were slaves to the devil. But he told us how by the strength of his might, He raised the Lord Jesus from the dead and seated him in the heavenly places far above every name, all rule and authority and power and dominion. He put all things in subjection under his feet. And the practical part of the letter, the last few chapters, he has told us how we are to walk with God now, how we ought to respond to the gospel. And he's told us this in very practical ways Uh, in our relationships, husbands and wives, parents and children, masters and slaves. And then there is this other relationship that is affected by this great change. And that is our relationship with our enemy, the devil. Now when you were not a Christian, he was still your enemy. You were not fighting on his side. You were just his slave. But no, you are no longer his slave. And God is going to call us here in this passage to stand firm against the devil. I have to remind you that though Christ has won the victory and though you have been set free from the devil, there is a battle that's going on. A battle still rages There is a war, and you are in it, and you are in danger. But this passage will direct you to the one place that safety can be found, if indeed you use the provisions that God has laid up for you. So listen carefully, if you truly take God's word seriously, that you might not be found defenseless on the evil day. This is God's word. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Lord, we ask that you would apply this word to our heart. Help us to learn from it, to grow from it, to respond to it in the correct way. Lord, help us to stand. Help us to be strong in you as we Hear your word now. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, brothers and sisters, this morning, as you arose here in uh, summer vacation in Mount Pleasant, you arose from your 
your soft beds and your air-conditioned rooms. You may have looked around and found yourself quite comfortable and at ease, having to remind yourself that although you live here, you're not always on vacation. You might have felt no, no reason to be alert for danger or be concerned for your safety. That life is very different for many people around the world. There is war currently in South Sudan, in Yemen, in Myanmar, in Ukraine. How different life is for the soldier who wakes up each morning to the sound of gunfire and explosions and who is aware that there is an enemy at hand I've served in different churches around the world. I've known what it's like to be teaching, to hear noises outside, and everyone to be completely silent because they're afraid that it might be the police about to raid you. I've known what it's like to see people suffering, to see people persecuted. In America, that's often very different Satan's way of attacking the church, not so much through outright persecution, although that's happening more and more. It's much more likely that it's just the seductive draw of the world that he uses to lure you to think that there is no battle, there is no enemy, that you have reached a point in the Christian life where you may retire, that you can just coast from here on out. That is not the case. The passage today is warning you that there is a battle that's raging around you. There's an enemy that is completely evil, utterly ruthless, immensely powerful, and who has slain billions without the slightest sense of remorse or mercy. It is, it is a testimony to his power when we have great heroes in war who go out and battle and just do incredible acts of bravery and then they come home and they are laid low by sin. There is no escaping this battle, brothers and sisters. You are not given a choice as to whether or not you will be a civilian or a soldier. The only question is whether you will be a prepared soldier or an unprepared one in this war. You are all in this conflict. You cannot bury your head in the sand and pretend that it doesn't exist and hope it goes away. This is the story of the world. From Genesis 3 to Revelation 20, no Christian can pass through this world without conflict, without this opposition. And yet, amazingly, we rarely give thought to this battle. We pretend that it doesn't exist, that if Satan, that Satan doesn't exist, whereas Christians were completely impervious and safe. We have nothing to do but to be at ease and that God will do everything for us and without us in this battle. Sometimes people say, let go and let God. That sounds very pious, but it doesn't sound like the Bible. 
The Bible calls you to stand firm. The Bible calls you to take up your arms. Yes, you are only strong in the Lord. But it's not just this casual relaxing. That would render this passage unnecessary. For Paul calls us here to arms and activity. Yet we rarely think of our enemy. It would seem that if one side of the conflict never gives thought to the other side, that the battle would be already lost. Brothers and sisters, that's why we need this passage. We need to be shaken from our slumber, our retirement, and to take it seriously. Now there is the, also the opposite error of being too focused and obsessed with spiritual warfare, which can also be dangerous. But nevertheless, let us remember that giving no thought to the conflict doesn't mean that your faith in God is just so great that you don't, you don't even think about it. It might sound pious, but it's not how the scripture speaks. Jesus calls you to watch and to pray. Peter says, be of sober spirit, be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls about like a roaring lion, lion seeking someone to devour. James called us to resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Paul teaches us here of our conflict. All of these great teachers, especially the Lord himself, reminds you of this battle, calls you to stand firm. So next time, I hope, Lord willing, to speak a little more fully on the nature of our enemy and what Paul calls here in verse 11, the schemes of the devil. But this morning, we should at least consider carefully, uh, briefly, uh, who we're fighting against if you wish to understand your need for strength and what sort of battle this is. In verse 12, we're told of our enemy. First, we're told what our enemy is not. He says, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood. God's kingdom, you see, is spiritual. His kingdom is not of this world. Our Lord said to Pilate at his trial, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then my servants would be fighting that I might not be delivered up to the Jews. But as it is, my kingdom is not of this world. Now, one thing that this teaches us is that the church does not conquer by fleshly means and military crusades. Another thing that we must learn is that Whenever men persecute us, we must remember that it's not merely men who we are struggling against, but rather Satan and the demons who use men to persecute us. John Calvin says that if we turn and we fight the men who persecute us, we would be like a dog who, when someone throws a stone at the dog, the dog turns and bites the stone rather than the one who threw it. But the main thing that Paul is emphasizing in showing that our struggle is not against flesh and blood is that your enemy 
is not human. Your enemy is supernatural, supernaturally strong. Now, if you are to fight against other men, you might win. You might lose. You might tie. But how do you fight against spirits? With all our military technology, all our advances, we gain nothing of value in this struggle. Tanks and planes, missiles and bombs, completely useless on this sort of battlefield. Consider also the various names that are used to describe your enemy. They are rulers, which means that they're organized. They exercise great authority. They're called powers, which shows us that our enemy is supernaturally strong. They're called world forces of darkness and spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. That tells us that they exercise great control in this world. Though they are spiritual beings who cannot be fought with earthly means. There is conflict in this world. It's not the biggest battle, the biggest war is not Russia versus Ukraine. It's not one country versus another. Above that, there is a spiritual conflict in the heavenly places. And that our enemy, we are told here, is dark. The world forces of darkness and the spiritual forces of wickedness. They are wicked. The armies of this world, in contrast, in some contrast, can be expected to fight with certain rules to prevent torture, hopefully, and certain chemical and biological weapons. We have the Geneva Convention that we hope people follow. But your spiritual enemies are completely wicked. There is no sense of mercy, no sense of fairness. They abide by no rules. They will use any method, any scheme to ruin your soul or to harm your relationship with God. Verse 11 tells us of the devil's schemes, and we are reminded by that how cunning he is. He is sneaky. Yes, he is powerful and could appear as a great dragon. But he's probably much more effective when he disguises himself as an angel of light and his followers as wolves in sheep's clothing. He is also an experienced enemy. He's really good at what he does. He's been doing it for a long, long time. And no one, no one has overcome him on their own strength except Christ. He has many strategies to overcome men. The church in Ephesus would remember the story in Acts chapter 19, you've heard before, where the seven Jewish exorcists tried to cast out demons from a man by saying, I adjure you by Jesus who Paul preaches. And the evil spirit said, I recognize Jesus, and I've heard about Paul, but who are you? And then this demon-possessed man overpowered them all, and they ran out of the house naked and wounded. 
And this became known all over Ephesus. These men, on their own strength, were vastly outmatched. So if you are to consider Satan's power, his intelligence, his experience, his wickedness, his spiritual nature, any of these things, and all of them together, you must realize that you are in a battle that is beyond your ability. You must realize that on your own, you are without armor. You are completely defenseless and helpless in this struggle. And that is why Paul directs us to the Lord and his strength. He writes, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God that you may be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. I want you to notice first that our enemy is much more powerful than we are. That we have no hope, no possibility of victory on our own strength. But secondly, that even so, there is a way to stand firm. There is a way to win this battle. And that is by being strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Our enemy is strong, far stronger than we are, but our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. Our help is infinitely stronger than our enemies. In this battle, and the the resources and assistance that we receive from God are not only necessary, they are sufficient. 2 Corinthians 3 Not that we are insufficient in ourselves to think anything of ourselves, but our sufficiency is of God. We are assured that if we take up this armor, if we are strong in the Lord, we will be able to stand. God is able to make you win this battle. In fact, he is more than sufficient. Paul wrote earlier that God is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, beyond all that you ask or think. So you see, the Bible is filled with accounts of weak men and weak women who were completely outmatched if they relied on their own strength. But nevertheless, they conquered in the Lord's strength. This is what God wants us to do as well. He wants us to win this battle. But he is not interested in turning you into independent creatures who are able to stand on your own two feet. He wants you to win, but as resting on him. Without Christ, we can do nothing. But if the Lord is on our side, who can be against us? Even even when we are being persecuted, even when we're being cut down, even when we're considered sheep to be slaughtered all day long, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. In the Lord's strength, Noah was able to stand strong against the whole world. Moses could stand before Pharaoh and his army. David against Goliath. Jonathan and his armor bearer. 
against an army of the Philistines. Elijah stood firm against King Ahab and hundreds of prophets of Baal. All of these were victorious, not because they were superior, but because the Lord was their helper. Think of Peter when Jesus was walking on the water and he called Peter to come out to him. And when Peter saw the wind and the waves, he became afraid and he began to sink and he cried out, Lord, save me. And the Lord reached out and he he rescued Peter. We too will sink if we only consider our strength compared to that of our enemy. But we have a helper who is ready to reach out his hand and to cause us to stand. But what does this mean to be strong in the Lord? I have to bring this down from just this platitude, be strong in the Lord. How do we do that? What does that look like? First of all, it is to be humbled and to not rely on your own strength. It is to remind yourself of your condition and your enemy, that you will not go into this battle by yourself. God gives grace to the humble. But secondly, it's also to believe that God is almighty and that his almighty power is being exercised in your defense so that you you lean on the Lord's arm in the conflict and on his strength as if it were your own strength. So you might have doubts sometimes in the conflict. Something, some situation is beyond God's power. We've seen it before with Jesus. Don't bother the teacher anymore. It's too late. The girl has already died. Or, Lord, If we open the tomb, he'll stink because he's been dead for four days. We imagine that some situation is outside of God's power. We must be reminded that God is almighty. And this conflict is not a close one. It's not an even fight. You must put aside from you forever this idea that there's two gods, a good one and an evil one. And the good one's just maybe a little more powerful than the evil one. It's not that way. Satan is a creature. He can only be in one place at a time. God will will slay him with the breath of his mouth. The demons, when they see Jesus, they say, have you come to destroy us before the time? Because they know that there is no hope in this conflict for them. In fact, there is no hope in the conflict for them against us if Christ is in us. We conquer by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of our testimony. We conquer by our faith. And what is the thing that strengthens your faith? What causes you to cling fast? Your battle against Satan is not one where you're going to stab him, where you're going to somehow learn to parry and counterattack. Don't think of it in those terms. Satan's whole goal is to ruin you. His whole goal is to remove you from Christ, to remove you from God. 
And if you are removed from God, then you cannot stand. So being strong in the Lord looks like continuing to go to God in faith. Continuing to pray. Continuing to read his word. To cling to him. To know him more and more. You know him. You ought to know him more and more. And press on to the final day. Satan wants you to become lazy. He wants you to coast. He wants you to be slothful. When you cling to the Lord, if every time Satan tempts you, you cling to the Lord, you're, you're winning. You're winning the battle. You come to him. You ask him for strength. You say, Lord, I cannot do this on my own. Either you help me or I am damned. You continue to do so. That is what it looks like to be strong in the Lord. You don't actually really fight. You cling to the Lord and you watch him win. That's what being strong in the Lord looks like. That's what all these heroes of the Bible did. They cling to him. Which of these fought actually and won the battle that way? It was by believing the promises, clinging to them, removing all doubt when Satan tries to bring it up clinging to God's truth. That is what it looks like practically to be strong, continuing to cling to your Savior. And Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Isaiah 12 says, Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid for the Lord God is my strength. Isaiah 40 says, Do you not know? Have you not heard the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, does not become weary or tired? His understanding is inscrutable. He gives strength to the weary, and to him who lacks might, he increases power. Proverbs 18, The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous runs into it and is safe. And we could go on and on. Scripture is filled with these statements. But we must remember them so that we will know that God is powerful enough to cause you to stand and that he is available and willing to help in time of need. He is able. He is willing. So we must continue to cling to him. He is stronger than our enemy. Satan is limited God is almighty. And by that power, by the strength of his might, he has raised Jesus from the dead and seated him above every name that is to be named. Those words in, that, in Ephesians 1 are the same words for strength, for power that Paul uses in our passage. The same strength that raised Jesus from the, the weight of all the sin of the world from, from hell itself on the cross, he raises him above every name that could be named. That is the same power that God has available for you to cause you to stand. And he is willing. He who gave up his own son to save you, do you not think that he is willing to use his strength to keep you? He is able and he is willing. And he reaches out his hand to assist us. He calls us to wait on him, to rely on him, 
to trust in him, to rest in him. So how do we obey this? We must recognize that our enemy is more intelligent than we are, and we must go to the Lord for wisdom. The armor of God, in some ways, explains what it looks like to be strong in the Lord. Our sword is not our clever words. It's not an apologetics class you took sometime, and now you're able to defeat the enemy. Our word is God's, our sword is God's word. Our belt is God's truth. Our shield is our faith in God and in his word. That too, that faith is a gift from God and it's necessary because this is precisely where Satan attacks us. He'll attack your faith in God's word. He said to Eve, did God really say you, will, well, you, you shall not actually eat from any tree of the garden? God didn't actually say that there's only one tree that God had forbidden Eve to eat of, but at once Satan calls into question God's truthfulness and his generosity and our shield of faith goes down. We need instead to trust in the Lord for man lives not by bread but by every word which proceeds from the mouth of God. We need to fill our minds with wisdom, not just knowledge, but wisdom, knowing how to apply God's word in the time of temptation. And we need prayer for those who call upon the Lord will be saved. Psalm 120 says, In my trouble I cried to the Lord, and he answered me. God's Spirit is our great helper that God has given us, and it is by the Spirit that we may put to death the deeds of the flesh. It is by the Spirit that we are to pray. It is the Spirit that wars against our flesh. And it is the Word of God that is the sword of the Spirit. Without Him, we can do nothing. But we can do all things through Him who strengthens us. His power is made perfect in our weakness. So if you feel overwhelmed, that's a good place to start. That's a good place because God is ready to help those who feel overwhelmed. If you feel strong, if you feel like you don't need any help, then you're in trouble. That's not the place to be. God's power is made perfect in our weakness. You know, this week, we were meeting with a church planter in Inverness, Scotland. Scotland, if you know anything about Presbyterian history, has been we are indebted to Scotland and all the things that have come from there to help us, our churches, grow. But now that church is almost gone. I think he said 2% of Scotland is evangelical Christian. It's hard to imagine that. That even now, there is, when they mention that they're Christians, there's, it's not neutral. It's, there's animosity that it's received with. They don't want to rent out to Christians. You know, the churches are shutting down. They're becoming museums. How did this happen? Clearly, we have an enemy. An enemy who's strong. 
many have fallen. And brothers and sisters, we don't want that to happen here. We don't want it to happen in Scotland. We want to see the church revived. There is a battle going on. This is the result of it. You must stand firm in this fight. It is possible for you to stand firm in this fight. And I want to tell you that everyone who fights wins. Everyone who fights in the Lord's strength wins. The only ones who lose are those who don't fight. You have a fight before you to stand firm. It is a fight of faith. It is a fight against your sins. And you will be injured. You will fall again and again. But the Lord is your strength. The Lord is your help. Those who wait on the Lord will receive strength. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and they will not faint. That is God's promise for you. I plead with you to cling to it. Cling to Christ. Brothers and sisters, you have a battle to fight. Enemy is strong, but you are not alone. You may feel despair. You may feel like you cannot make progress against sins that so easily entangle you. You can't on your own. But there is a God who helps you. He is your strength. And if you go to him, you may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. Let's pray. Lord, we ask that you would help us, that you would cause us to rest on your arm, that we would trust in you, that every time we are tempted, and even when we're not tempted, we would run to you, Lord, that we would seek your help, your strength. We pray that you would keep us humble before you, that we might always be ready to go to you in time of need. Lord, go out and conquer. Conquer our hearts. You know there's sin there. Purify us. Cleanse us. Make your gospel go forth as it has in Slovakia, as it's going all around the world, Lord. Save people. Rescue people who are lost in darkness and slave to Satan. Build your church, Lord. The gates of Hades cannot stand against you. We pray that you would build up your church and keep us, hold us fast. To you alone be the glory, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. <coughs>